because the opportunity is huge for us and for the community and for the space because it's a it's a brand new category for all of us so you know live in the moment you know enjoy what you do and you know make this one count because i'm not sure if the next one is going to be better that's why i tell myself like make this one count because the next one there's no guarantee the next one's going to be even remotely close so i'm living this opportunity as if it's my last welcome to the common threads during each episode we'll travel through time to explore the childhoods influences and habits of some of the world's leading athletes industry experts and entrepreneurs Subscribe today on Apple Podcasts or your favorite listening app and visit ProKit where we bring together the best interviews, podcasts, and articles in a new platform for athletes. I'm your host, David Swain. So here with Eric Min, the co-founder and CEO of Zwift, I'll intro Zwift by three um, kind of tagline sound bites that I see when I'm on the app store or on the Zwift website. So make indoor training a game. Fun is fast and the fitness company born from gaming. So I've been a Zwift user, I think since probably 2015 or 2016. Eric started it with co-founders in uh, 2014. So it's coming up. So six years old. Uh, raised $170 million, at least that's what the internet says, which is, a, is a, some serious cash going into building this platform. And first round was, it looks like, according to the internet, was from Eric and his co-founder to get this thing started. So yeah, yeah so Eric, welcome to The Common Threads. Yeah, thanks, David. I'm glad we're finally uh, making this podcast happen. Yeah, so I start every podcast with a super hard question, which is, what did you have for breakfast this morning? (laughs) I have oatmeal every morning. Uh, Today, I felt a little hungrier, so I actually had some some rice and some meat, actually, because I did a nice eight-mile or eight-kilometer recovery run Uh after I... um, you know, destroyed myself doing a grand fondo on Zwift yesterday. <laughs> I was, <laughs> I was shattered after that ride. Um, yeah, oatmeal every day. You know, and I miss it when I don't have it when I'm on the road. Okay, very good. So why don't we start with you know? I just did the sound bites on what Zwift is, but just for the people who may not be familiar, um, just give us the summary on um, 2014. You're getting started. What was yeah. it that you were hoping to build, and and what is it now? Yeah, so the idea was born November 2013. So I, I live in London and I've been a cyclist for, you know, since I was a young teenager. Um, and so indoor cycling wasn't foreign to me. It's, it's what I did when I couldn't get out. And living in London, central London, um, the weather, is enough reason for me to stay indoors a lot. So this was exactly. You know, November is not a very nice month in London sometimes. And, and so I was spending a lot of time indoors. And the same time I was thinking about my next adventure, I had another uh, venture before that, uh, before Zwift. And so I wanted to do something different. And I was just exploring. And, and the one that just hit me was like, wow, I can't believe after some 20, year, 20 plus years, indoor cycling still sucks. 
you know, there was so all this promise of VR and gamification. And I've seen a number of companies come out with apps or, you know, different products, but none of them felt like they were high quality. And so really what I thought was like, what if we made the proper investment to create a really nice experience and make it more social? In fact, the whole business would have to be anchored around social. You start there and then figure out what you need to build because none of the other products was focused on that at all. It was really about simulating, you know, what you were trying to do outdoors, right? So I was starting to Google. I think the idea was sort of clear to me at that point, what I needed. And I, I knew it had to be a game and not real video because to create this MMO, the video game was the perfect platform to do that. So I started thinking, well, my partner and I, you know, we built trading systems in our previous venture. So we knew nothing about video games. So I started Googling and I came across this one project and it looked like someone had been working on, you know, a project like for three years and it didn't look like it changed at all. So I reached out to that developer and that developer was John Mayfield, one of our co-founders now. And he had been working on something. He had the similar problem. He was a game developer. He was getting into cycling, endurance cycling, and he didn't have time to to ride when he got home um, outdoors because of the lack of daylight. So he was also riding indoors and realizing the same thing that I did, which was like, everything sucks. So he said, well, I'm just going <laughs> to, he decided, well, I'm just going to build a game for myself. It was the single user experience. It was all about the single player experience. And so when I saw that, I'm like, wow. That's a beautiful product. It's just a project today. But if we made that into an MMO, I think that's just a great place to start. So I reached out to him and, and you know, over the course of three or four weeks, we connected in, in LA. And, you know, I think a lot of people reached out to, to John because he had an interesting project and a lot of people were, you know, had the same problems, right? And they wanted a solution many of them triathletes because i think i saw some discussion threads on slow twitch which is a popular tri uh, site so so many people i think contacted him but i think i was the only one who actually showed up at his doorstep my other partner scott barger and i we got on a plane <laughs> from london and showed up at his doorstep so he took us far more seriously and soon afterwards it, it didn't take that long but you know there were four of us who co-founded the company in January of 2014, and then we, um, you know, our offsite with the four of us, and it was Palisades Hills, and we decided to put together a roadmap, and it was a bunch of yellow stickies on a refrigerator. That's how we <laughs> created like the roadmap for our first product, which was really like let's make indoor cycling. We did think about running very early on, but. I had far more knowledge of the cycling industry and the sport itself, so I decided to go down that path. And moreover, the game was already sort of you know playing the cycling experience. So it took us six months to turn it into a product that we can show investors. And then by September, when we launched our beta, we closed our round the day of our beta launch, and we raised seven million dollars from friends and family so my partner and i had we we made some money from our last venture so we funded the initial development we had i don't know seven eight five to eight people 
And then from there, we went out and raised, you know, reasonable amount of money. Originally, it was going to be three million, but we were oversubscribed by a lot. I'm glad we did raise all that for this. It's a fairly chunky round for our friends and family. Yeah. <laughs> but I knew this was going to cost a lot of money to build. <laughs> I knew. And, and we're not done yet. We've raised $170 million and we're not done raising money. I right. Don't think. And so from those sticky notes to the first app, what do you think your that $7 million in the friends and family round what were they investing in? Was it were they investing in you and your founders or the vision? Do you think or some combo? Some combo. Yeah. So many of my early investors are friends from the cycling industry. I have you'd be surprised at the the folks who are invest in the company. These are people who are in the cycling industry, either as independent brands or have worked in this space. And then there are others who who invested because we were successful in the last venture. So these are not cyclists and they just, they're investing in us personally. I think all of our investors, all of our friends and family, they're investing in us and they, they have better understanding of this venture than the last one. So for example, my parents still don't know what I did <laughs> with my last venture, but this one, they totally understand and they invested in this venture themselves, which is great. My dad is 86 years old. He rides on Zwift every day. He totally understands what he's invested in. So I think it was a combination of, okay, well, these guys have figured out how to make a, a startup successful. They probably could do it again. We ourselves didn't know if we could do it again. I mean, that was really the test with my partner from um, Alaric Marine from my my last venture. You know, my question to him is like, you know, do we just get lucky? you know, or are we entrepreneurs? Why don't we test that, you know, and see if we can do it again? If we do it again, then, and it works, then I'd say we're entrepreneurs. That was sort of like the test. And so your co-founders, um, so you guys obviously had a good, good relationship from your last venture. You decided to go do it again. Talk about that, like the thought process of bringing the same group back together. Yeah, it's interesting. My partner, Alaric, he is not a cyclist, which is probably a great thing because it keeps me grounded. I'm the guy who dreams big and wants to do crazy things. And he's the one who actually sense checks these ideas. And he actually liked this one. He, In fact, he was encouraging me to look into opportunities within the cycling space because he knew I... I had a lot of, you know, my network's pretty strong there. And um, since I spent so much time in cycling, competing or participating, the equipment, the whole space, he thought that, you know, I could probably come up with some idea there, some gap that someone hasn't serviced yet. Because we did look at other sectors, which we had absolutely no experience or expertise in. So I stayed away from cycling only because it was just too close to my hobby Moreover, I'm not sure if my wife would have allowed me, but because he is not a cyclist, he's grounded. And because we worked well together, he was my perfect cover to get this thing off the ground. So we had an agreement. You back my startup, I'll back your startup kind of thing. And then we can kind of navigate our wives. <laughs> but it turned out this is actually, you know, something that tens of thousands of people wanted. Right. And help people understand why. I mean, for me, you know, I, 
you go back to 2013 and I was sitting in a garage before work with dust all over me on a trainer riding and trying to hold my phone in one hand watching YouTube videos. That was pre-Zwift. <laughs> right. So you, you guys have definitely changed the game. And funnily, for people who aren't on it, if you're a fairly serious cyclist and you're riding outside on the weekends when you can get out, um, you know which people are training on Zwift during the week because <laughs> they are a lot faster. <laughs> yeah, I can uh, tell you one thing. Zwift will not slow you down. No. Yeah. <laughs> you got to get ready for it. It's like going out on a hard weekend ride. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, talk about the the kind of the audience that came in mm. early and how that's evolved or changed and how you, you know, how you think about that changing to expand as the you know, company scales. Yeah. It's interesting. When I, I thought all of my hardcore cyclists would show up first, they're showing up last. It's really, really interesting. I've misread it. So of course we had some hardcore cyclists, right? But there, I, I have lots of cycling friends and you know, Five years later, they're finally giving Zwift a try, you know, and it turns out it's much easier to convince those who have never ridden indoors to ride indoors. But those who actually know about indoor cycling, many of them, not all of them, many of them just have a terrible experience, terrible memories of that. So that's the last thing they want to do. They absolutely, you know, they just don't want to ride indoors full stop. So it's been easier to, you know, convince or acquire customers who have very little experience of that whole indoor space. I just didn't expect that. I expected my friends to show up first. They're showing up last. It's kind of interesting. And because, you know, as you get older, all my friends are middle-aged guys and, you know, they're kind of set in their ways, right? And they just have this terrible impression of indoor cycling. They just don't know how much you know, Zwift can change that experience because of all the, the social connections you get and the competition and the convenience. You don't really understand that until you've tried it for a few times. Yeah. Talk about that, like a little bit on what you need, you know, this, the, even for people who haven't felt like the smart trainer, like that concept mm -hmm. is, I think, still new to a lot of people if you haven't explored it. And the Back, like one thing for me that st stood out is you show up on Zwift and you pick your plan or like you're, you've got, you yeah. want to increase your power or you're training for a gravel race or you're training for a grand fondo. And mm. there's the plans there that are designed by coaches like that is for me, that was like a piece that drew me in is like, wow, I don't even need to think I can sign up for a plan and trust that a coach um, had put real thought into it and help get me, you know, get me moving. I think I think you're right. Most people show up at Zwift uh, on Zwift because of, of training, right? They want to improve their performance, or they've got a goal, and they, they they need that structured training. It's all around training. It's when you arrive and you try Zwift, you uncover all the other things. That's just much harder to explain. Uh, whether that's the you know all the the community aspect is super strong uh, for those who are into that. You know, some people show up to Zwift just to race. That's all they want to do. And then there's like a third of our audience just show up. They just want to ride, probably like they do in the real world, right? They're not competitors. They're not training. They just want to ride their bike. It's really interesting. We, we have 
Like those are the three cohorts. You're training, you're just joyriding, right? Social, and then, or just, you know, you just want to burn some calories. And then those are they're the hardcore competitive cyclists who, you know, want to be super competitive in the competition. Um, yeah, those are the three cohorts. Now, in terms of the hardware, we don't make our own hardware or trainers or smart trainers yet. We have been working with partners and we'll continue to work with partners who've been making trainers for the last 25 years. Although in the last 10 years, we've standardized the protocol. So it's very easy for a third-party software to connect to these hardware you know, in, in a very open standard way. But we plan to bring out our own hardware that's been communicated publicly. And, and the whole reason for that is because I think we're in the best position to innovate what that experience might be, right? The integration of, of software and hardware is something that I think we should, should lead on. And then, of course, we want the rest of the industry to follow suit and, and invest alongside us. But the best way to explain that is the way Google owns their Android platform and also makes their Google phones while allowing Samsung and the Huawei's and the LG's to make, you know, competing hardware. So that model works really well for us. And, you know, it's an easier and the quickest way to get as many people onto the platform. Yeah. And also just how much of that to you was a necessity to get there just for controlling quality of the experience? Yeah, I, th I think for, you know, we've been in business for almost five years now and uh, or four, it's really four seasons because the first year was free as beta. So four years of service. We needed to be hardware agnostic. I'm glad we started our business without any hardware because it was just much easier to work with all the existing partners. And I think we'll continue to do that, but it's, it's um, you know, we needed to establish that platform. And then from there, bringing out our own hardware just to show innovation, lead on the innovation front. And then, because there's no way we're going to be able to supply the whole market ourselves. The market sells like probably to 250 to 300,000 smart trainers a year. Like we couldn't even make that ourselves. And this pie is growing. So we want to make sure we work with the biggest you know, partners and make sure that you know, we're creating great products for the market, for the consumers. And, you know, we want to be in a position of leadership there on, on the, the innovation side. So give us just a sense of, you know, you're the five years in and scaling employees, building your community and user base, bringing on engineers, like hardware, raising money, like, you know, what, give us a sense of where you're at and maybe what keeps you up at night? What's been the hard part about going through the scale that you guys have gone through? Yeah, so um, we've done, how many rounds? Friends and family, 7 million. We did a angel round of 10 million. We did a series A round of 27 million. We did a series B round of 125 million. And we did that every, I think every two years, not, not even quite that. And we have 330 people now. Um, I can tell you it's a real pain in the ass have, <laughs> growing that fast. You don't get double. You know, we, I, we probably added 150 people in the last 18 months. I can guarantee you, you don't get the instant, you know, double the productivity. In fact, I feel like we've slowed down, but 
you know, we need to bed in the new staff and we've made changes to the way we're organized. And, you know, all this is just an investment in, in further scaling. Like I, we needed to make this investment to make sure that we can keep up with what we want to do and then set ourselves up for another, you know, big growth spurt that I think could happen in another two years. You know, we have four office projects going. It's just, it's a lot of infrastructure work behind the scenes stuff that, you know, customers don't see, but necessary even just to make sure that we, you know, we work productively. I mean, we have, we have staff around the world. It's not just one office anymore. Yeah. And so how many offices are you? So we have our, we're headquartered in Long Beach. So we're outfitting 60,000 square feet there on Long Beach. We've got about 200 plus people. We've got about 60 people in London. We've got about 30, it will be 30 in Rio de Janeiro. And then we have a small team in Melbourne, Tokyo, Seoul, and then, you know, we've got others on the ground on the continent. Uh, we have a small team in, in New York as well. So lots of traveling, lots of conference calls, lots of video conference calls to make this uh, tick along. And how, how has your, um, I mean, that, just going through those phases as a founder, those phases of growth, I remember with Instagram crossing a hundred employees and just that period of not knowing everyone's name anymore, like in that sense of, to oh, your yeah. point on like loss of, in some ways, loss of control and speed and the shifting mindset of your job is to, it's becomes very heavily focused on internal communications um, which is a big shift. Is that gone? Has that been a, a thing for you? Like, where has your day changed the most over the kind of the progression? Yeah, it's the internal comms is super important. I never really appreciated it until we got to where we are today. You know, in, in the past, we could, you know, shout across the entire office and everyone would be on top of what, what needs to be communicated. But now it needs careful planning and scheduling and it's super important because we need to make sure that all 330 people are sailing in the same direction so what i've learned is you need great managers you need to trust that they can do their jobs you need to trust that they can hire the best people and um, they will make mistakes that's normal the the trick is not to keep making the same mistakes and what i've also learned over the years is do fewer and bigger things. Whereas as a startup, you try to do lots of little things. And you look back after 12 months, it's usually like one or two things that actually move the needle for the business. And so I'm trying to get ahead of that and say like, okay, these are the three things we need to work on. Everything else is secondary. <laughs> that is super important because we need to keep it simple for all 330 people to understand what our priorities are, that they're working on something that's impacting one of those three things if you have three priorities. That, to me, this, focusing on fewer things, fewer, bigger things, and doing them really well, yeah, I can't think of anything more important than that that I've seen yeah. kind of through my career. And, and it sounds easy to say, but getting to those <laughs> three things and then 
convincing yourself and then convincing your employees that those are the right three yeah. things and your customers <laughs> who are pro- probably Absolutely. have a hundred different things that they are pushing on that aren't even close to being on your list yet. Well, it, How do you get to those three things? How do you get to them? Well, it's going to be different every year, but you yeah. need to have a, a two-year vision for where you want to be. And then you need to back into what are the few things that, that is a stepping stone towards that. So I think in the past, you know, you, we, we try to do lots of different things, kind of spraying, you know, and just go off lots of different opportunities, hope that some of them will work. I think that's hard. And that's the shotgun approach, right? If you're laser focused on three things, you're just taking bigger bets. <laughs> that's what you do it. But right, the risk of failure is also exactly much higher. So yeah. it's, it's yeah. a double-edged sword. So you better make sure those three things are really min- meaningful. And one is not meant to replace any of the other two. None of them are meant to hedge each other. Those three things independently, they're intricately linked in the strategy. Those three things for us have to be incredibly leveraged. So the three things for us: one, we have to just make an awesome product so real emphasis on the product two we have to successfully launch our hardware business three we have to make sure that we have a successful year in you know unveiling esports esports world championships so those three things have to be incredibly leveraged as much as possible and so the whole company is focused on those three areas, which is simple, right? These are things that I've publicly announced. <laughs> uh, we're just saying that those are the three important things. doesn't mean that we're not going to do priority four, priority five. But when we look back, those are the three things that we better have said, better say that we've been successful in doing. That is what I've communicated to, to our team. Super important to keep yeah. it simple. And on the, the, uh, your number three on esports, you know, you've talked about the goal for the Olympics and burning esports to the Olympics publicly. So, what, you know, for people who aren't following esports, like, kind of what is it? What is the category? How does Zwift fit in? And where is it going? So, it's now two years in the making uh, when I contacted David Lapartian from the UCI about this concept of a new discipline. And UCI, just for people who aren't in the cycling world. It is the world governing body for cycling. It is an institution yeah. that is 120 years old. It is probably one of the oldest institutions within the IOC. It's a very powerful, let's say, agency within the IOC. They, super important. So I approached him about this idea of like esports for cycling. And that, you know, we could potentially be the platform for it. It did not take him long. It was that year, in fact, he wrote it into the Constitution and got it ratified by Cong- his, you know, UCI Congress. And then the following year, which was 2019 in Yorkshire, we announced it, jointly announced our partnership where Zwift would be the platform and we would deliver the official 2020 esports cycling world championships sanctioned by the UCI. That is like, speaks volumes of the innovation that UCI wants to do. And it so happens that 
David is also chairing the esports committee within the IOC. And Thomas Bach, who is president of the IOC, is encouraging all the federations, the world governing bodies out there, to think about esports. And he's he's mentioned Zwift a number of times about the reference. And because we're uniquely positioned to deliver an esport that has athletic, you know, component to it, right? Most esports are. You know, you're sitting in a chair, or maybe if you're drone racing, you're standing up. There's nothing like Zwift where you have to work really hard. You have to be an athlete. And the crossover between outdoor riding and indoor riding is pretty high because those outdoor athletes are well qualified to do esports. Of course, Zwift, you know, once you get in, is the racing on Zwift is different from outdoor racing, but the physical qualities that you need is not that different. And I think it supports the spirit of the Olympics. It does, I think, potentially solves a number of problems for the world, including the IOC, which is you've got a sport potentially that is super accessible, super affordable, and it's in the spirit of the Olympic values, right? It's not a shooting game. You know, it's one that requires you to work hard, you know, physically, athletically. So I think just coincidentally hits this sweet spot of an, a sport or a discipline that helps to bridge this old world of the Olympics and this new world of video games. Yeah, that accessibility piece is really interesting because it's easy for people like me who have a great mountain out my backyard to go ride people that may not be able to get outside. You've got great athletes in the waiting who could be doing that instead of, of sitting on, on the couch and you with Zwift Academy, you know, I think you just had your, your first Zwift Academy winner win the first pro race. Yeah. Talk about, because that's, it just shows that these, you know, there's, there's, I'm sure a serious transition to make for outdoor bike handling. (laughs) Yeah. So there, there are two elements. So just, I want to make one point before we move on to Zwift Academy. Yeah. The notion that you can take part in a global sport from the comfort of your home is super innovative, right? I mean, there's no other sport you could do that where you could do that. Well, you could take part this year, you can take part in the U.S. national qualifiers from the comfort of your home. Now, as you go through the qualification, you know, and you go to the nationals, they will happen in the real world. But the fact that you can take part, like anyone in the U.S. can take part in the U.S. national qualifiers from home with minimal friction. The only friction is you actually have to have a, you know, a trainer you know, a qualified trainer, and then of course, access to Zwift, you can take part. And then we will take the top contestants and bring them into an arena where you can, there's further competition that, that will take place to crown the, the U.S. national champion. So that is super exciting in terms of what that means. I mean, just think of those countries that just couldn't afford to have, you know, some of these events. We can do this in such a cost-effective way. Anyone should be able to afford to host a national championships on Zwift, even if the finals happens in the real world. So we're super excited about that. And that's the model that we will take 
for the world championships. The national championships will be a feeder to the world championships. And so super excited about what we'll be announcing shortly with the UCI around like what that calendar looks like for 2020. That's gonna be a, a real moment for us. Now for Zwift Academy, so Zwift is I think a great way to identify talent. In terms of talent identification, it's massive, right? You're really um, reaching wide when you say, okay, let's do Zwift Academy and have you know 70,000 people take part. You're going to find some incredible athletes. That's one thing I've learned. You know, when I do a grand final or I do a race, I check my ego at the door. Because when you get into a Zwift race, you realize like how local you are in you know your perception of your fitness or your competitiveness you know you're going from riding a race here and competing with like your local community and then when you get on zwift you're riding with people from belgium and holland and some parts of asia and australia and you know they're incredible athletes and they don't have to be professional cyclists these could be lawyers and doctors and plumbers and they're just gifted Right. And they just happen to be really interested in cycling. They're just not professional. So we're finding all these incredible athletes that chose a different path. So like people immediately think, oh, these guys must be cheating. In fact, I don't think they are. They're just incredibly talented. You just don't see them because they don't live in your neighborhood. <laughs> right. And you've seen stories of people, which is really interesting to me about like actually increasing probably numbers in cycling is people who were big ultra runners or big in another sport who get injured yeah. or just find Zwift in another way who come in and all of a sudden are producing these big results because they've got that engine they've been building their whole life yeah. in another sport. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like rowers and runners and, you know, you can't assume that the best athletes in the world, gifted athletes are cyclists. That's just false. Think of incredibly talented, you know, soccer players or baseball players, or football players, you know, American football players, or, you know, NHL athletes. They're just everywhere. It's not all in cycling. Like Evan Pohl. Evan Pohl was a teenager footballer, a soccer player. And he made a transition to road cycling. Within one year, he became like the best junior in the world. He went from playing football or soccer, American soccer, to like an elite number one junior in one freaking year. Just goes to show that cycling does not have all the best athletes, gifted athletes. Yeah. How do you think about, um, and I don't know outside the US on, on adoption for it, but like, you know, here you've got on one side, if I look at my friend group, you've got Peloton on one side and Zwift on the other. Yeah. And where do those two converge or not? Are you addressing the same audience? Like where do the two meet? That's a really good question because we are at the opposite end of the spectrum, right? If you go from like fitness to highly competitive, like, you know, Peloton is on the general fitness end and we're all the way at the other end in terms of who inspires our audience. So we're deliberately going after those who identify themselves as cyclists or runners, right? And where it's, you know, they consider themselves as potential athletes or who aspire to be an athlete or who understand, you know, who enjoy the sport 
but increasingly we're finding customers who are going out to a bike shop buying a bike and a smart trainer to get on Zwift. They are not cyclists. They just like that experience. They want to be a cyclist, but this is how they're going to get started as a cyclist is to start indoors. And then from there, they'll build a community, they'll build fitness, and then they'll eventually go outside to do a Grand Fondo or to meet those virtual people in the real world. I mean, these are all, you know, anecdotal stories that, you know, we know of. So we're going with a different strategy of like, we're not going to go after the general fitness market. That is probably too soft for us right now. So I think the overlap between the Venn diagram of the Venn diagram overlap between Peloton and Zwift is, is pretty far apart. What we want to do, and especially with esports, we want to create the kind of behavior where, you know, I watch Wimbledon and then I want to play tennis the next day. I watch the Tour de France and I want to ride my bike the next day. We wanted to create the same thing with, with Zwift esports, right? We, you know, we want people to watch the best the elite compete on Zwift and we want to inspire, you know, others to want to get on Zwift. So that is a proven model, right? It's just, we're doing it indoors in a virtual setting. So, so that getting back to your point, on like picking the three focus areas. So even just staying true to that, at least right now, the more competitive, serious cyclist or athlete, how have you, I'm sure that that gets tested a lot, yeah. right? Because the mainstream is a bigger addressable Absolutely. market. So, you know, maintaining that focus, what's given you kind of the confidence and reassurance to really stay true to that? Because what we get from the, you know, the Tour de France Peloton riding on Zwift is credibility. It's the old saying, if it's good enough for them, it's good enough for me, right? So we've got the credibility now. And you know, most of the top professional cyclists are on Zwift. Most of the top triathletes are on Zwift. Many serious runners are already on, on Zwift. And if we had rowing, we'd probably find the same thing with rowing. So they give us the validation. And these athletes are meant to inspire the rest of us. Because I think there's a lot more to go with when you're talking about sport. To me, sport is I can, I can be entertained by the top athletes because i understand what they're trying to do and how hard those efforts are or the the competition what i get from sport is clubs i get a community i get training plans i get coaching i get competition i get participation it's like this whole infrastructure that that exists in almost every sport especially the mass participation sports and that is what we want to mirror virtually and I think that is way stickier than other fitness experiences that exist today. Yeah. And on the, uh, just quickly, like on what it takes to, you know, what's the kind of the baseline entry point to get into Zwift and kind of monthly subscription fee sure. for people who want to get started? You can literally get started for a few hundred dollar uh, smart trainer, in fact. And Zwift costs $14.99 a month, no contract, meaning you can go month to month. We work on a variety of different displays, whether it's a PC, Mac, or iPad, or Android tablet, the mobile phones. Apple TV is a great way to deliver Zwift. 
And, uh, you know, if you have, there are lots of configurations. If you already have a power meter, then you could use a classic trainer, spend less money. So the way to get into Zwift is, is actually not very expensive. And the amount of time you save by being on Zwift versus, you know, having to go out because that's the only option you think you have is enormous. Like for me, I can get an incredible workout in one hour. So it's not until you've tried a few times you realize the value of convenience and the effectiveness that you get from indoor training because you're not coasting. <laughs> One hour on Zwift is like like an hour and a half outdoors right. because there's no soft pedaling. And that gets into just you as a person. So in the, I think you have a family, right? So you've got kids. I do. I have... I have three kids. They're young teenagers. Um, I've got this job. I travel a lot. And I still manage to work out five, six times a week because I can sneak in a workout, you know, at a hotel or my office or at home, just sneaking it in. Do I feel less like a cyclist because I do the bulk of my training indoors? Absolutely not. Because when I go outside, I'm reasonably fit. And because once you know how to ride a bike, you don't forget, just like skating. I don't have any concerns about well, bike handling skills. Of course, if you're completely new to cycling, bike handling skill is something you do have to pick up and you can only learn that, you know, on a balanced bike, right? But otherwise, you can get nearly all your, the fitness indoors. Yeah. Talk about the balancing, you know, having kids and the travel and how you've either done that well or not. That's hard to do. Is your family in London? Yes. Yeah. Okay. It's not easy. Um, I try to be home for the weekends. I try to travel on Monday and come back on Fridays. That seems to work. I probably travel half the time. So two of the four weeks each month I'm away, either to California or the continent or to New York or, you know, I just came back from Asia. So it's not easy. And my wife is super supportive, which really helps. And my kids are not young anymore, so they can take care of themselves. But uh, yeah, I'm trying my best to balance. It is, it is tough because there's so much to do at Zwift. And for many of us at Zwift, uh, and I'm speaking for, for many people at the company, the line between you know, work and pleasure is really fine because so much of our enjoyment comes from Zwift. Like we are all customers of our own product. And so many of us are Zwifters. And we do that on the weekends, we do that in the mornings, we do that in the evenings, we talk about Zwift, we work on Zwift. It's, it's, uh, it's, I think it's a good thing, but once in a while you do need a break because it's, uh, it can be overwhelming for, for some of our staff, that's for sure. Yeah. On that, cycling community i mean i think there's well you can we can comment on whether or not there's strides but um some of the endurance sports world has not been great on diversity and and gender diversity as well so kind of across the spectrum of bringing women in and celebrating that side of the sport once you get to the elite levels like things like equal you know on the pay side and and also on mm -hmm. coverage of the the events themselves like do you have any thoughts on that yeah. and, and any role that Zwift can or should play? 
Yeah, I'd say that about 20% of our customers are women, 80% men. And I suspect Peloton is the exact opposite. But when it comes to various initiatives internally, you know, in terms of the content programming we do, whether it's with Academy, whether it's, you know, Tortoise Wift competition or campaign that we had recently, or esports, it's got to be gender equal or equal parity, uh, prize money, everything. We've been true to that at this today. I mean, it's, it's, um, we see a huge opportunity for us to grow the woman community because it, it definitely checks all the boxes in terms of safety and, you know, even that virtual community is the women's community that we have is a safe environment, right? It's kind of ironic, but, you know, some men get quite upset that they can't be invited to the women's only clubs. <laughs> so you get some of that negativity, but that's only natural. There's definitely work that everyone should be doing to promote parity. And I think, you know, the UCI and what they're trying to do for women's professional racing is consistent. You know, they're trying to do the same, and you know, raise the pay levels and make the women's cycling more professional, which uh, we're starting to see with the World Tour teams now. So one of the teams that we work with, which is the Canyon Shram team, they are a World Tour team. So it's good to see women's racing elevated, and that needs to filter all the way down to, you know, even competition on Zwift. With our world championships, if we have prize money, we'll have equal prize money for men and women. And, you know, including the, you know, online racing that we do and the prize money we give away, you always see a parity there. That's great. On the, the clubs and kind of community side, so you started at JP Morgan, right? And then, you know, like you said, started mm-hmm. a, a, a trading platform on the, the, uh, the finance side. So, you know, building community is not something that comes naturally to many companies and everyone can try, but actually doing it is very different. So what have you learned on that? Like, how have you guys done it? Yeah, it would be wrong for us to take full credit for that. I think the community came together because of the product and it was really the community that grew themselves. We just created an environment for them and we had the product that they wanted to invest in the community. And then, you know, we just made sure we, we didn't get in the way. <laughs> in fact, you know, if anything, we're holding back the community because some of the things that they're asking for would only help us to grow the community. So the theme that we have for sort of the, the big chunky features that we're coming out with, for example, club functionality is something that is entirely for the community. We're making it easier for them to organize themselves on on our platform and you know you can be a members only or invitation only clubs it can be you know brands can be uh, present on our platform as a club so this club functionality really unlocks you know some of the things that customers has been have been asking for a lot of this sits on facebook we're trying to bring that you know closer to the product because that's where you can, you know, act on some of the activities, whether it's you know, private events or training or, you know, or, you know, a chat room. These are all things I think will help to grow the community. So super excited about that. You can level up as a community. 
lots of opportunities and super strategic for us to have that club functionality, which, um, you know, we've been working on for, you know, nine months now. Yeah. Um, at the engineering side to build all of this attracting engineers, like, are you, mm. I mean, is that where a lot of the, the funding goes, you know, engineers are not cheap. <laughs> no. So probably, you know, half the company I would say is, um, on the product. The other half, maybe a good chunk of that is marketing. And then sort of the rest of the, and then you've got the esports and you've got the e-commerce team and you've got, you know, all the corporate functions, finance and people team, et cetera. But I'd say half the company is focused on product. And, and when I say half the company, it's not just the game, right? Product is, it spans mobile, spans the web, spans the server that you never see. But, you know, there's, there's a whole team of people focused on making sure that Zwift is, is always up. And are you going mostly into the, for recruiting, do you end up mostly in the, the game developer side to find talent or are you kind of across the board on the software engineers? And... I mean, we have software engineers across the board. Yeah. Uh, the game team is probably the most difficult to recruit for because we're competing with the AAA studios and publishers, Amazon, Tesla, Facebook, Google, you name it. They all want game developers as well. So it's super, super competitive, but yeah, constantly looking for, you know, more people on that front. And yeah, I, it's not just us, it's everyone <laughs> yeah. looking for those. It's, it's definitely tough. So we can wrap up quickly, but uh, looking kind of to the future, like how's growth going? And, uh, you know, a couple of years from now, if you have, if you've kind of hit your your potential and what you're hoping for kind of where, yeah. where are we going to be? So we're growing pretty nicely. We've grew 40% last year. So we just, you know, we're not doubling anymore. <laughs> That's easier to do when your numbers are smaller. Uh, when your numbers are bigger, it's much harder, but we are still growing. And we think the total addressable market is, is very big. I mean, just within cycling, if you look Strava as a, as a one reference, where they have about 25 million cyclists, I think, out of 50 million users, you know, we're still bringing on customers from like the early, early cohort of Strava users. So like, there's a long way to go before we've run out of cyclists. <laughs> and then if you start widening the scope by changing the experience, going after running or rowing, making that experience more gamified. So you just go down to that next tranche of customers. It's huge. And then if you say, okay, everyone chasing fitness, I mean, you know, that's massive. But we've got a long way to go. It's just, we can only, we just need to be very calculated about who we're talking to. Because as you go down that pyramid of potential customers, those channels get more and more expensive because it gets noisier and noisier. Yeah. So these are things that we are aware of and we just need to make sure that the product proposition, you know, fits that market. But we're making a, you know, placing a bet on the future. Like we give away Zwift to kids. If you're under 16, Zwift is for free. And the parents love that. And we, we have thousands of kids on Zwift. And we're betting that eventually they will become paying customers, you know. And 
Moreover, like my kids, I use this as an example, like my kids are not Zwifters yet, but once they become young professionals and they're looking for that fitness solution, they're going to ask, yeah, they're not going to ask like, what gym should I join? They're going to ask like, what game should I play to get my fitness? Like they come from the video game world. That's how they're going to, you know, find their fitness solution through video games. And I want to make sure that Zwift is there to serve those customers. So going back to just to close out when you were starting for the, the kind of the aspiring entrepreneur out there or the pro athlete listening who their brand is their company, right? You know, what, what lessons do you have on going for it or not? It's hard work. So you mean to start a business? Yeah. To start a business and just thinking about like how to, I mean, going through scale from those first couple people to where you are now, kind of like any big takeaways on making that. Yeah, I would say the investment that you put into the company has to match realistically against the ambitions, right? And so from the very beginning, we always, we always thought that this was a, a big opportunity. So we invested accordingly, you know, early on, but you have to be right. <laughs> if you're not, then it's, it's painful. Um, I would say the other thing, and this, it's, it's like anything else. Like I have to be a very good salesman to convince people to join, you know, the mission that I think is worth fighting for. And you need to do that not only among people you hire, but also your customers, your partners, your investors, the media, you have to be sold on it. And it has to be super authentic. It has to be credible. That's the first thing. Like everyone needs, like at Zwift, everyone understands the mission of the company, which is to get more people to be more active, more often. Very, very simple. It's one that everyone could get behind. So the mission is super important. And then after that, you just have to go and hire the most passionate people. They don't have to be rock stars, but collectively, it's got to be an awesome team. And then it just goes from there. You know, great people attract great people. Hmm. Words of wisdom. Anything I missed <laughs> that I should have asked? Any last words that, uh, that you'd like to throw in? So on, on Zwift, this is a, a long journey. This, I believe, Zwift will carry on long after I'm gone. And that's the kind of lasting business that we all want to create at Zwift, which is really special. Like, I can't say that, you know, this is what I often tell the guys who work for me. You know that company that, you know, that you all want to work for? This is it. This is the one that really matters. It's not like this isn't a stepping stone to the next thing. Like this is the ticket. <laughs> That's what I often tell my guys. Like, because the opportunity is huge for us and for the community and for the space. Because it's a it's a brand new category for all of us. So, you know, live in the moment. You know, enjoy what you do, and you know, make this one count. Because I'm not sure if the next one is going to be better. That's what I tell myself. Like make this one count because the next one, there's no guarantee the next one's going to be even remotely close. 
So I'm living this opportunity as if it's my last. All right. That was awesome. Cool. Well, thank you, Eric. And uh, thanks for joining. Thanks, David. And we'll see you on the next ride. Yeah, awesome. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Common Threads. If you liked the show, please tell your friends and followers on social media and encourage them to tune in. You can also leave a rating or review to help new listeners discover the show on Apple Podcasts or whatever service you're listening on. Or send me feedback directly on Twitter at David underscore Swain. And then head over to join our new platform for athletes at theprokit.com. <laughs>